0: Morning. Uh, thank you for sharing that song. You know, you think about um, uh, God calls us to stuff that uh, sometimes is not very easy. Uh, living with uh, certain stigma that Mary had to live with, and then end up with uh, her, her son crucified on a cross. Uh, you, you can imagine that uh, it, it's not easy. And God doesn't always call us to easy but he does call us to obedience and to be faithful. Uh, We have had a busy weekend here at the church. Friday we had uh, kids went out caroling. Last night there was the Spanish ministry had a a fellowship and a a meal and there was uh, several invited guests and a great time of testimonies and then we have service today. So it's been a a full weekend. We're in Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-five through thirty-two. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-five. And uh, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-five. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for this opportunity that we have to look at your word. I pray now that your spirit would do a work within us, a work that uh, I cannot accomplish, but rather you decide to use the preaching of your word. And the Spirit uses that to change us, to convict us. Father, I pray that your Spirit would encourage us to continue living uh, godly in holiness. I pray that uh, those who are not saved today would uh, understand their need to put their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you could choose to live wisely... Would you do that? If you had the opportunity to say, I'm going to live wisely, would you take it? Now, before you answer really quickly, let me just say that uh, Christ is the personification of wisdom. Uh, He is wisdom in flesh. So to act wisely, to be wise, is to act like Christ and to pursue those things which Christ pursues now thinking about you know, thinking on your life and maybe thinking about uh, certain decisions that you have made uh, maybe they weren't the wisest decision but uh, I'm sure you have like some funny stories because of those decisions you made maybe uh, a night you went out with some friends and did da, 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 and and it wasn't the wisest moment of your life but you've got that story Or maybe there was a purchase that you made that uh, you you know it wasn't wise for you to do that. It it was a purchase that you're like, I don't have the money for it, but the boss that fired me, if they saw me with that car, if they saw me in that house, they would be so envious. And your desire grew, and you're like, I have to have it. So it wasn't a, a wise decision. It was one that was motivated by desire. So before you answer the question really quickly, would you want to live a life of wisdom if you could? You say, Daniel, you're kind of putting like a a contrast between uh, fun and wisdom. Like if you choose fun, you're going to choose uh, uh, not to be wise. And if you choose wisdom, you're going to have a boring life. Well, it's not what I'm presenting, but... um, I am presenting that many times some of the things that we do do not come out of wisdom. Now, thinking about this, would you live a life of wisdom, uh, uh, live wisely, uh, if you could? Is that something you would pick? Here we are in Ephesians chapter 4, and we've looked at the fact that Paul has urged them to put off the old man, take it off. And that laying aside of the old man is the, the, what corrupts the, the, the former way of living, uh, the way you were before you got saved. It says to take that off. And, and that's something that they are supposed to do. It's not something that happens to them, but rather you're supposed to lay that off. You're supposed to rip it off and, and put it away and, and not go back to it. And then the other thing that's supposed to happen is that you're supposed to have your mind renewed. And that's not an active verb, that's a, a passive verb. That's something that happens to you. And, and I, I shared that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Christ has given gifts, and these gifts are gifts that are used for the uh, edification of the people. It says, uh, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So, this uh, giving of gifts that Christ has given to the church is for the purpose as we gather together to have our minds renewed. Uh, this renewing is building us up into the image of Christ. And then, so we've put off, we've been renewed by coming together, and then there's the putting on the new self. This new self, which is the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Putting on. That putting on is uh, one, something that we do. Instead of uh, thinking that passively somehow we are going to start obeying, it's rather being obedient. It's not, it's not just waiting around, waiting for a feeling. I, I am hoping that one day I'm going to feel like being holy. It's not, it's not waiting around, hoping that one day you're going to feel whole. It's rather putting that on. So there's the putting off, being renewed, and then uh, obeying, putting on. What we're going to be looking at today is that we're to please the Holy Spirit by following God's example in Christ by living wisely. Now, you probably recognize some of these words that uh, we're not supposed to grieve the Holy Spirit, And so you can see that part, and you can see uh, God's example in Christ, uh, but you may be wondering where am I getting the wise aspect from, and it comes in the form of the contrasts that are being set before us. There are two ways, and you can live this way, but Paul is saying stop living this way and start doing this way. Uh, It has this idea of choosing a way of living, and that comes with wisdom. So we're going to look at living wisely. Live wisely by speaking truth, and we see that in verse 25. It says, therefore, laying aside falsehood. uh, Again, this laying aside is something that the believer is supposed to do. It's not something that just comes automatically, but rather they are supposed to engage in this, to remove something, to take it away. And specifically, it's falsehood, that which is a lie, that which does not conform to truth. Now, we can see this word appear in a couple different contexts and, and see the importance of it. For example, in John, John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he uh They're saying that their father is Abraham. He's having this kind of debate with them about it. In in John chapter 8, you remember that it starts off with he has a a woman that has been caught in adultery. They bring bring her before him. And they want, the Pharisees want Jesus to make a decision, a legal decision about her. Uh, He does not answer their legal question, but rather starts writing down on the ground Uh, And what he wrote, we do not know what he wrote exactly, but it had such an impact on them that they start walking away one by one. There's no one to accuse her. Then Jesus starts to speak about how he is the light of the world, and uh, he's talking about how he is true. And then he starts engaging again with the Pharisees, and in verse 44 uh, he talks about, He says, uh, you you are of your father the devil, and you uh, want not uh, to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, uh, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So to be engaging in falsehood is to side yourself with the father of lies rather than siding yourself with with God. We're going back to Ephesians, but we're going to take a little detour in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul's writing, and uh, we kind of saw this in verse uh, 18, that he presents these individuals who are not worshiping the Lord. They're not seeking after God. Rather, they're they're not glorifying God, and they're not being thankful to God. And then we see in verse 25 that it says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's our word. Uh, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Uh, fascinating thing to think about that an individual chooses to serve the creature rather than the creator if I serve and I worship the creature maybe I can set the standard maybe I can set the limits maybe I can set the priorities if I want to worship the creator then he, he sets all those things but they don't want to worship they'd rather worship a lie and worship the thing being created uh, speaking falsehood Puts you in line with with the devil. It it does not put you in line with being with God. Now it says, uh, laying aside falsehood, speak truth. Uh, Back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Speak truth. It's it's an imperative. It's what they're supposed to be doing, to giving these utterances of truth, truth statements. Now, what is truth? Uh, Truth has been debated quite a bit uh, recently. How do we know what is truth? Is truth a perspective? Like, uh, this is a true statement, but if you look at it from this other angle, then the contrary is also true. Is that how truth works? Is Depending on your perspective, depending on your point of view, truth uh, truth can vacillate? Uh, Is uh, truth become something if you're very, very passionate about it? Like, if you really, really believe something and you really articulate your belief, and you really stand for it, and you really tweet it, and you really uh, do whatever else you do, it, does that make it truth? Uh, I was watching a kind of a, a debate between uh, some individuals who believe that the world is a globe, and it, on, on one side, and then the other group was a, a group of individuals who believe that the earth is, is flat. And this is a, a, a modern debate. It's not, you know, a Christopher Columbus debate. But rather, it's a modern debate. And so th- this group said, you know, the Earth is flat. And so uh, they decided to do some experiments uh, to kind of uh, the, the people who are trying to prove that the Earth is a globe. They, they devised this experiment where if a person is uh, s- at the edge of a lake, at the edge of a lake, and you have a rowboat, and it starts to row... Uh, in direction opposite of the shore, so further out, and the rowboat has in it a uh, a, a kind of a sign with measurements. What should happen if there is a curvature is that uh, that measurement should decrease as it goes out. It starts going over, and so it it should start to decrease. Uh, So there they are. They've got uh, binoculars, and off the team goes. They had both somebody who believed in the earth being a globe and also a person who believed that the earth was flat so that no trickery was done on the rowboat as they started rowing out. And they start rowing. And there they go, row after row after row, and the boat starts going further and further and further. And they're having to use binoculars to see. And sure enough, uh, the the, the measurement descends. And uh, they rowed back, and uh, they gathered there together because they wanted to confirm no trickery was done on the rowboat. And the group of flat earthers were there discussing it. And finally, after their huddle, they turn around and they say they did not accept the truth. They, They said something was flawed. They don't know what was flawed, but something was flawed in the experiment. Now, it shows something very interesting in that you can present truth to people and they can still reject it you can present something as being totally provable. And they say, no, nah, you did something. Uh, a sly of hand, something, you done some type of trick. Jesus is the truth. John chapter 14, verse 6. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. And the question for us now is, do we accept truth or do we reject it? Now, You say, of course I am a person of truth. I'm a person that explores stuff, researches, because I want to have truth. Yet, there are many people who would prefer to believe a lie rather than believe what is true. Now, how do we know truth? It's not something that I can passionately argue for. It's not something that comes inside of me. Christ is the truth. So if we want to know truth, we have to know Jesus. Now, knowing Jesus is not just about knowing the Gospels. There's a group of scholars who uh, set out to say that the only important things of the Bible are those words in red uh, and, uh, because those are you know, the words of Jesus. And so, therefore, we have to know those and we can disregard all the other words. But that's not the thing. To know Jesus is to accept the whole uh, of Scripture. Why did Jesus come? Why was he born? For what purpose? Well, you had to find that out in Genesis chapter 1. God created the heavens and the earth. He, he made everything perfect. He put a couple in the garden, and he gave them the option. Uh, he said, you can enjoy all the fruit. You can enjoy all the food, except for one. And on one good day, they decided to enjoy the one fruit that they weren't supposed to have and that caused death it caused a separation uh, what had to happen at that point well god had to send his son to die for us and sure enough he was born and he lived a perfect life and he presented truth to them did they accept it no the leadership encouraged israel to turn around to turn away from him it goes from one day where they're shouting hosanna 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 as he marches in triumphantly And later that week, what are they screaming out? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We think that we want truth. But truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And if we really want truth, then we have to know God's word. If we're really saying that we love truth, this is what... Now, why do we have to know truth? It says there, following the the verse, speak each one, uh, truth each one with a, a view with his neighbor, as it says, for we are members uh, of one another. It, that word there, you know, that we're members, is, is the idea of a, of a group. Uh, so uh, you, know, you could think about an orchestra. An orchestra has, is one body, but it has all the different instruments. If a person decides to, well, I'm going to play my own thing. I'm thankful that the director has given me this sheet music, but I've printed off my own sheet music, and I'm going to go play my own thing. It's not going to work. It affects the whole orchestra, that one person deciding to do their own thing. Uh, Furthermore, if the person uh, decides that they're going to play well, but they're going to deceive other people so that they're playing something, it affects them. It's not like they can perform well and then everybody else perform bad and people say, oh, that was fantastic. A person who speaks falsehood affects themselves. They might think that they're tearing somebody else down. They might think that they are bringing somebody else down, but they are affecting themselves because we're all part of the same body. Now, Thinking about this, we're to live wisely by speaking truth, but we're also to live wisely by controlling our reactions. And we see that in verses 26 through 27. Uh, To live wisely by controlling our reactions. And we see that in, in verse 26. It says, be angry. It's a passive where something has been introduced into your life, and now there is wrath, there is anger, there is an emotion response to a situation. But, it says, and yet do not sin. There's our imperative. Do not sin. Uh, We live in a time where you hear many times people say, "Uh, I I only smacked you around because you made me upset. As, As my sinful reaction there was dependent upon what you did. Well, that's not how it works. That's not—we don't get a free card just because people do stuff to us. We still have to live in holiness. That's the whole point that we're seeing. We no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Uh, We're to lay that aside. So a situation comes into your life and it angers you. You're not supposed to sin. it's, it's prevalent, this idea, that if somebody has done something to you, then that justifies a certain reaction. I was listening on the news. It was talking about the person that went in and, and uh, shot the kids over in Uvalde in that school. And the, the reporter said, the thing that we have to consider is that he was bullied as, as a child. And I said, well, what does that have to do with the story of, of, of being developed? And the idea is, because something happened to him, he's now lashing out. It doesn't work that way. We're to be angry, but not to sin. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, there are some people who take this a, a very literalistic way. And it's not supposed to be taken literalistically. It's like, well, I, could, I can get mad longer in the summer months because the sun doesn't set until a lot longer. Winter months, oh, I hate winter months because I can only get, you know, upset until about five o'clock and then I, I got to drop it. It's not literalistically that you need to be taking this. I've heard people say, what happens if you've gotten angry after the sun has already set? Does that mean you, it's not until the next day when the sun's going to go down that you have to resolve things? No, it's not supposed to be taken literalistically. It's a figure of speech giving an idea of a termination of something, something coming to a conclusion. There's individuals who live with anger for stuff that happened years ago. The people don't even know that they have done something to them, but they live with that anger inside of them. It's like a chain around them. They just go on and on. You don't know what happened to me at this church. You don't know what happened to me on the Christmas Eve. I wanted that fire truck, and my dad did not get me that fire truck and now I'm the way I am. Like, oh my word, did your dad even know that you wanted a fire truck? Just go buy a fire truck and be done with it. No, no. The idea is to give resolution to things. Now, I'm not saying that this is giving people a free card as if injustices aren't injustices. They are. But what is being presented here is living wisely And you cannot hold on to anger and become more Christ-like. You you just can't. Now, as we think about this, we see verse 27. It kind of gives us this um, idea here. It says, and do not give the devil an opportunity. That word opportunity is a favorable circumstance for doing something, a, a possibility, a chance. I am not a hunter, but uh, if, if, say I was going to go hunting, if I was going to go hunting, I was going to go hunting deer, I, I, I probably wouldn't go out here on 45 right here in Houston to go hunting. I, I wouldn't set up a stand there, because it, it's not favorable. I wouldn't go to downtown Houston and, and set up a stand, you know right there at an intersection and say, "I'm waiting for a buck to come by." Why? It's not a favorable situation to be in. I can't imagine that I would see a deer there. Uh, It says, don't give an opportunity. Don't give a a favorable place to the devil in your life. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about allowing the devil to have a place in your life where you don't add any value to the salvation that has been given to you. There's no service unto the Lord. Rather, you're chained with this anger. And rather than serving God everything, you're just upset about everything. And it comes out. Pick everything to death. Everything is a problem. Don't do that. You're giving a favorable opportunity to the devil. Now, we're supposed to live wisely by speaking truth. We're supposed to live wisely by controlling our reactions So just because something happens to us doesn't just give us a a free card to do whatever. We're also to live wisely by giving generously. And we see that in verse 28. By by giving generously. It says, he who steals must steal no longer. The person taking from other people. They're not supposed to be doing that anymore. Uh, It doesn't matter if, if states allow that, hey, it was under a thousand bucks, we're not going to prosecute. It, that's, that's not the point. The point is, if you are stealing, you're not supposed to steal anymore. Rather, what are you supposed to be doing? It says, uh, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. So what? So that he can retire, right? And, and live a comfortable life with all the pleasures. No. It gives, a, it gives a purpose clause, so that he will have something to share with one who has need, to live generously, to work hard so that you can give to other people, so that when that little thing goes out about meals, you say, "Hey, I've got money. I can buy a meal for this family in need." When the angel tree shows up, you're like, "Hey, I can sign up and and take on one of those angel trees." When other opportunities show up and there's a need. You say, hey, I can, I, I can participate in this. Why? Because no longer stealing, rather, working and they're living generously. Live wisely by giving generously. It takes a change of perspective from self towards others to use the talents that God has given you so that you can use. Now, it implies that there, we're always going to have needy people. It, it does. But if God gives you the opportunity to work, you work so that you can share with other individuals. Look for opportunities to serve. So we live wisely by speaking truth. Live wisely by controlling our reactions. And we live wisely by giving generously. And then live wisely by building people towards Christlikeness. We see this in verse 29. It says in verse 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Let no unwholesome word, Uh, but only such as a word is good for edification. A lot gets said. A lot of words are communicated. And we live in an age where there's all types of social media and we uh, we can communicate continuously. But we're not supposed to use words that are unwholesome. Rather, they're supposed to be words that are for edification. Now, he started off by using communication, and he said in verse twenty five to lay us all aside falsehood and speak the truth. Now, to edify somebody, it has to be a truth statement. Like it doesn't help anybody at all to say something nice that's not true, you know? Uh, the person comes in all you know shoveled, you know. You look so handsome today. You know, <laughs> that doesn't help the person. You know, um, I'm not sure that that coordinates. You know, it, it, you, but you don't you, saying false things doesn't edify the person. But but not all true statements edify. Not all true statements edify. A, a, a statement has to be true to edify, but not all true statements edify. And I'll give you an example. I've uh, always been a, a little bit on the—not uh, a little bit, a, a lot on the on the larger side. In Spain, they call it the person is strong. You know, I, I like that—not uh, fat, they're strong. You know, and uh, they're like, Daniel is strong. I'm like, yeah, I like that. Uh, so, uh, as a kid, I've always been uh, obese, and so as a kid, I had uh, good, good, good church friends tell me. Uh, Daniel, you're, you're you're rather fat. And uh, was that a true statement? Oh, it, it was a true statement. It wasn't a lie. It, it was true. Did it edify? I'm still working on the edification process of the statement. I'm not sure how. I'm sure at some point I'll figure it out, how that was to help me grow in my life. But not all true statements edify, build the person up. Now, what are we edifying the person towards? Well, we've already seen that it's to the likeness of Christ. So the person acts more and more like Christ and less le- and like themselves. We have a lot of words that we communicate, but not all the words are edifying. How is this edification supposed to happen? What is it supposed to do? It says, according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Grace. Grace. If we were able to somehow record a week's worth of our conversations, and then we sat down and started listening to it, how many of our conversations would we say, oh, they, they give grace? They're gracious people as they talk. Or would we have a different opinion about our speech? Would it say, this person really lacks grace? They they don't build anybody up at all. They tear one person down and tear another person down. And and all they do is just tear tear everybody around them down. He says to give grace. Now, building people up requires to be thinking about what they need for that moment. It it requires a lot of wisdom. Uh, Telling somebody when they're already down, You could have done a lot better. That's probably not the best moment to to say that to them. It might be true, but it's to look to edify and give grace to the people. So we live wisely by speaking truth, by controlling our reactions, by giving generously, by building people towards Christlikeness, and uh, live wisely by pleasing the Spirit. We see that in verse 30. It says, do not grieve. And that word for grieve has the idea of uh, cause of severe mental or emotional distress, to irritate, to offend, to insult. And, and the person who we're not to do this to is to the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, we know from John chapter four, uh, 16, verse 14, he's talking, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling about how he's about to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is supposed to have this ministry that it says is going to glorify the Son. Therefore, the actions that we do that would not grieve the Spirit is that we would act more and more like Christ and less and less like ourselves. Less and less with our desires, less and less to those things that we want to see, and more and more embracing what Christ would do. To live a life that doesn't grieve the Spirit is a life... That embraces the life of Christ as one's own. Now, thinking about this, we have the opportunity two ways, two choices, two choices on the shelf pleasing yourself or uh, pleasing your God or pleasing yourself. Every day we win or lose, it all depends on the one you choose. We always have two choices, two choices on the shelf. Are we going to grieve the Holy Spirit or will we? Live as Christ did. This leads us to the last point. We live wisely by forgiving one another. Verse 31 and verse 32. It sets up a strong contrast in our reactions. Let all bitterness, which is this uh, anger that turns into this very sourness inside the person, where they're processing, thinking about over and over again. Wrath, which is an emotional reaction. Anger, clamor, it's yelling. Slander, speaking bad about people. And what are you supposed to do with these things? You're supposed to put it away along with all malice. The, The word has this idea of the intent of why one does something. A person can do something that looks good, but the intention is to do evil rather than good. It looks from outside, and maybe people would pray, oh, wow, look how generous you are, or look how good you are. But the intent of it, it, this word goes to the intent, the intent is to cause harm. It says put those things away. Don't, Don't be doing those things anymore. Cast it away, throw it away. In contrast, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, which is the idea of compassionate. Being proud uh, really puts a damper on being compassionate. If you don't realize you need compassion from the Lord, if you don't realize that, it's very hard for you to share compassion with somebody else. If you think I've got got all my life together, what's your problem? You know, it's very hard to be compassionate towards other individuals. He says, Be compassionate, forgiving each other. How? We have this example. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you, He's forgiven. Daniel, you don't understand what that person has done to me. You don't understand the hurt. You don't understand how they took advantage. You don't understand, and on and on we could go. I'm not trying to justify that person that has done something to you. I'm not trying to say that wasn't a real problem. It it, it was. But in contrast to our offense to God, the offense that other people do towards us is, is really small. And if God forgives us in Christ, then we're to forgive one another. That's that's the example that we have. We're to please the Holy Spirit by following God's example in Christ by living wisely. If you could live wisely, would you do it? It would require for you to put away the old self, have your mind renewed, and live by putting on the new self, which is in righteousness and holiness. Maybe you can't do that today because you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Oh, you you know, you have some stories. You know some Bible stories. But there's never been a moment in your life where you have accepted what Christ did as the only thing that could save you from your sins. You, You won't be able to live this way because you don't have the empowering of the Spirit who sealed you until the day of redemption. I would invite you that, if that's you, that that you would talk to someone beside you. That, That you would come forward at the time of invitation. I would love to share with you how you can have a relationship with God so that you can start living this way. Other of us might have already accepted Christ as our Savior, but we haven't been putting into practice the laying aside. We've been busy so we haven't been coming to church, and so therefore our minds have not been renewed. I mean, things aren't going to sell themselves, right? Spreadsheets aren't going to make themselves. Meals aren't going to be cooked themselves, and so we've been busy, and we haven't been coming, and so we haven't been renewed. Therefore, we are not putting on the new self, which is in the likeness of God. I would encourage you, if that's true of your life, that you would make a decision, that you want to put off the old self. This renewing of our mind is not something that you do in isolation in your devotions in the morning. Devotions are a great part, but the giftedness that Christ has done to the church is so that we can be growing. It's one of the sanctifying effects in the believer is to come together. And then we put those things into practice. We're going to have a time of invitation. I would encourage you to bow your heads with me now and let's pray. Father, I pray now as we consider this text, whether we've been still living sinfully or if we've been putting sinfulness aside, having our minds renewed and putting on the new man, Father, if there is someone here that's not saved, I pray that today uh, they'll accept Christ as their Savior so that they can start living this way. Father, for the rest of us that are saved, I pray now that you would just convict our hearts and show us those areas that we need to put away so that we can live wisely for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Who would please stand with me as we sing this song of invitation.